66-ton whale died and was beached on the southwestern coast of Taiwan near the city of Tainan. Two weeks later, on January 29th, authorities decided to truck the dead whale into a laboratory where they would do an autopsy. It took 50 laborers and three lifting cranes 13 hours to hoist the 56-foot fish onto a flatbed trailer truck. Pedestrians and shop owners poured into the streets to watch the spectacle of a whale carcass driven through the streets of downtown Tainan. And then it happened. As the truck crawled through that downtown region with crowds looking on, the whale exploded. That's right, it flat blew up, inner parts and guts went everywhere. Store owners, shops, cars, people, covered, splattered with the guts of this whale. Traffic was brought to a halt for hours, no doubt. The smell was almost unbearable. Bet you no one got up that morning thinking that they would have whale guts thrown on them. <laughs> it's like that sometimes in life, isn't it? You're going about your business and a whale explodes. I, I was just going to Starbucks, man. You know, they were interviewing me. I'm just going to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee. In the eye of the whale. Ever been gossiped about? Hey, who did you in finance with? Who put the screws to you? Who did something unfair to you at work? Maybe it happened at home with a parent or a grandparent, husband or wife or a best friend. If you've ever had something happen to you that was out of human control, that seemed so unfair that you don't understand how a good God could let it happen, then you need to sit a while with a choir director named Asaph. Asaph was one of the three directors who worked under King David. He was one of the great worship leaders in the Old Testament. He's about to get as real as it gets. 
prosperity. These God rejectors, they were enjoying prosperity. The Hebrew word for prosperity is shalom. Do you recognize that name, that, that word? Have you heard it before? It literally means peace with God such that your life is fulfilled, tranquil, and complete. Asaph looked at the lifestyles, the cars, the clothing, the houses they lived in, the company they kept, and he thought to himself, they're getting everything God promised his company. I don't go to clubs. I maintain all this discipline. I'm at church. I'm, I do this. I do that. I'm a godly person. I tithe my offering, my check. I, 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 I. And yet you're there blessed and I'm not. I thought, God, you reap what you sow. I'm getting a raw deal. Loving the world and not the things that are in the world. He ceased being concerned about the sin of the successful and started focusing instead on the success of the sinful. And that leads us to the fourth word in that verse, verse 3, that word envy. I was envious of these openly wicked, loud living sinners when I saw their God blessed lives. Envy is the tendency to compare yourself with someone else in a way that leaves you feeling deprived. You attend Jake's High School. You come from this side of the river, as they call us. The school district describes those on this side of the river somewhat lower class than those on the other side of the room. We talked to a church that was uh, struggling some years ago. We talked about perhaps merging the churches together in this location, only to be told that those people won't drive across the river to come to church over here. I said, well, that's interesting. They come four blocks from our church every day to go to school and to watch football and whatever you want to call it. But what an attitude. But we get envious, don't we? We begin to compare ourselves with what people have. We feel deprived. Envy means I want what you have. Asaph was eaten up with it. It's not difficult for that to happen, by the way. Our culture in America is loaded with it. It's Man, I tell you, I drive by church buildings and I look at those buildings and I go, oh, I like to go into big sanctuaries and stand up on that stage and look around and go, there's just no reason why I shouldn't be God with all of my talents and gifts and abilities. I should not be preaching from this pulpit. Ten-year-old pickup. I look over there at his cars and I go, "Well, 
Jesus came to the whole world, did he not? And how many out of the whole world did he find that would even walk with him? Twelve. And out of the twelve, how many did he really focus on? Three. And out of the three, how did he really focus on? That's the Son of God. This is the guy that was in the creation with the Father and the Spirit. This is the guy that hung on the cross and died for your sins. My goodness, he should have been able to draw a crowd. Twelve. The most unlikely crew of church folks. To start a church. Huh? Now we're going to start a new church. Okay, who are you going to have? Well, i got three fishermen. Tax collector. I'm not sure about the rest of these. Well, prostitute kept hanging around. Well, that brings good reputation to the new church. Of course, with her reputation, you might draw a crowd. Hello. But you see, we're envious because of it. You know, I get excited. It's like, it's like when you say, huh, huh, uh, The new commercial that the guy says, dude, all the time, dude, dude, dude. certain phrases, the way he uses that, it means certain things. That's the way Dudley was when he said, oh. Oh. It had certain, certain right. people, they live on easy street, they don't face the hardships I face, they live longer, play more, get away with anything and everything. They wear a power-hungry, cutthroat, cynical attitude like a coat. They are self-promoting, anti-God, and worldly, and they are the ones that are getting a slice of the pie, not me. It's 
focus on me and I'm tired. So, so what did she do? Ruined the fat. Went back to drinking. She'd beat alcoholism. She'd been drinking. She'd been sober for a number of years. Threw in the towel. Went back. She was in rehab within three weeks. Tried to go see her.
145.18 says the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So when you come calling, he's going to be there. He's going to be there. God is big enough to take your anger, your pain, and your questions. So go ahead and tell him about it. Go ahead. Don't keep those emotions cooped up inside of you, building layers of resentment and hardship between you and God. Stored up anger vents itself in headaches, ulcers, bitterness, resentment, private rehearsals of the injustice that you've experienced, and outbursts of anger that are disconnected from that real problem. Unload that acid. God is waiting to talk to you. So number one, pour your heart out to God. Number two, weigh your choices carefully. In verses 12 through 14, Asaph's envy had so taken his heart that he was fed up with living a godly life. He was angry and disillusioned. And then in verse 15, he stopped to consider the impact of those steps. Look what he says. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Asaph realized that in, if he went public with his inner struggles, letting his cynicism and anger out in words, he would become a tool of Satan for the ruin of God's people. That's why, that's why people found... Mother Teresa's journal. And in her journal, she was struggling personally with a relationship with God. But people had tried to bring that out and make that appear as though she didn't even have a relationship with God. How could someone with a relationship with God ask these questions? Well, why didn't you have the guts to bring it up before she died? so afraid to even talk to God. Most people who left church, who have left a church, who have left service of the Lord, they've done it because somebody hurt them. Well, grow up. Put your big boy britches on, your big girl britches on, and go and talk to that person that hurt you. They probably don't even know that they did that. But you know, we all have these flapping tongues and these flipping lips that get words out before we hope they'll get out. My wife has to tell me all the time, Hey, Steele, you should come to our aid. 
I didn't find out I'm a preacher, did it? Cindy. What do I see? Weigh your choices carefully. How many rash words, unsifted actions have we wished to take back because of the negative consequences that they brought about? You ever let it get out and go, kind of suck it back? Those words are gone. Well, they did. And they just look for destruction. Ooh, here's one. And that person goes, Asaph's perception expands in verses 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all this, it was so oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Those words, Asaph went to church. Why is it that we try to find God's, uh, or the answers, and God's answers, and all the answers of life away from where God is? God is here. As well as out there, but he's really waiting to, to meet you. The invitation always stands to come. If you have a burden, a heavy leg, he says, come. My yoke is easy. Come on. In other words, I'm going to help carry it with you. I'm going to help carry it with you. I read a poem the other day a friend sent me about Grandpa's hands. I'm reading everything about Grandpa's anymore. So Grandpa's hands, and in the story it says that Grandpa was sitting on a park bench, staring at his hands. The young person sat down and looked at him and said, Hey, old man, what you doing? He said, Well, I'm staring at my hands. And he says, well, What's what are you staring at? He said, Well, I'm staring at these hands. He said, You ever stare at your hands? So the young man turned his hands over, looked at him, and said, No, not really. He said, What are you staring at? He said, Well, I'm looking at these hands. some grandpa hands. I want some grandpa hands. Oh, he goes on in verses 17 and 19. He says, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. The prosperity that he saw in these other people, he then realizes see you've got to see the bigger picture. 
he began to understand the truth of 1 John 2, 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Hallelujah. God completely controls their destiny, not them. Their end will be terrible. And then lastly, renew your relationship with God. Armed with a new positive our perspective, a positive perspective about God and His work, he then sees himself a little clearer. Look at, at starting verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, my, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Testify of the power of God in your life. Testify of the goodness of God that he's brought you from the pits of hell to the gates of heaven. That's the God I know. That's the God I love. And it doesn't matter what everybody else has. It only matters what I have. I have what? Salvation in Jesus. Asaph takes his raw deal to the right place, finds out that he didn't have a bad effort. And with an eternal perspective, set of roses down there. Y'all see those roses on the seats? That's when y'all will go. If you don't want to hook arms, not a problem. But I will come down here, walk slowly down. It's a busy afternoon in Spade, Texas. I need a program. Let me see a program. Teacher Ashley Martin is in charge of organizing another graduating class here at this tiny high school on the South Plains of Texas. We've been through a lot this year. It's been a really long year. The valedictorian of the class of 2006 is Cassidy Chapman. And we've been waiting for this night for a long time. Spade is all he's ever known. You know, this place is more of a family than it is a school. So like you two girls would sit here. Tonight, a grand total of six seniors will march down the aisle of the Spade Auditorium and receive their diplomas. And one of those seniors is a most unlikely student. 
Sherman, we're going to the library to get your gown on. I've always worn the high school diploma. 75-year-old Sherman Jones attended school at Spade many years ago, but in 1948 he quit and ended up a world away from West Texas. I was a dumb porn boy. I had never been out of the state of Texas. When war broke out in Korea, one soldier from Spade, Texas, was in the worst that war can offer. I have nightmares nearly every month. Every two or three, two or three times a month. Sherman Jones was taken prisoner by the North Korean Army. It's as a prisoner of war that this old country boy from Spade, Texas, suffered one of the worst atrocities of the entire war. It's been called the Korean Death March. And they shot me in the bottom of the foot, and then they shot me back behind the ear, and it came out of my face. When his class was graduating, he was laying in a ditch in Korea, shot in the head. Dustin Garrett is Spade's salutatorian. Together with his buddy Cassidy Chapman, the two teenagers invited Sherman to come join the class of 2006 on this special night. It's not fair that he didn't get to walk across and graduate, and me and my classmates just really wanted him to experience it since he never did before, and I feel he deserves it for all the, all the service he's done for our country. Okay, guys. It's been a privilege. It's been a rare privilege, and I appreciate everything you've done and who you are, and I'm very proud of you. Jessica, Joanna, Dustin, Cassidy, Anthony, Sherman, we're glad to have you. It's an honor that you would come and be with us today. It seems Sherman's dream of graduating from his hometown high school came at just the right time. But understand this, when you walk down that stage tonight, down the aisle and up on the stage and you walk across, you carry one thing that nobody else carries, the last graduating class of space. Honor that, be proud of that, and walk with pride. When they said that we'd be the last graduating class, I mean, that just tore me apart. And just this year, knowing that it's going to be gone, there's no longer going to be a school in Spade, Texas, it makes it a real difficult night for us to face. The end. This is the end of all things for our school, and and after tonight, it'll just be another building. You are the end of a long line of good people. Sherman can attest to that. He's one of those good people. Carry that name proudly. And when you walk across, take a second, look around, and remember it. Get nervous? Are you? Oh yeah, I'm always nervous. Okay. Yes. It's good to be nervous. You bet you. You'll be all right though, aren't you? Yeah. No. And so, as time marches on, the class of 2006 marches in for the final time. The auditorium is packed with people wanting that one last glimpse at history.
And that one last glimpse of a hero who still carries the scars and nightmares of a terrible war so long ago. When I seen Sherman and seen how excited he was to be getting such an honor, I, I knew that he needed to walk across the stage with us because it never happened again. Oh, it's a true honor. I, I, I get to sit with him in the same row tonight. He's right beside me. It's an honor to have you with us today, Sherman. Principal Joel Rogers begins the ending of Spade High School. It's a night of speeches and memories. It's an honor to see this auditorium packed for one last time. To have those five seniors asking me to graduate with them. I mean, I feel like it's hard, it's hard to explain, pretty hard to explain. But I, I mean, to me, it's just the greatest honor that those kids could put on me. Mr. Martin Anthony and Miss Jessica Catalina Guy, Mr. Dustin Leroy Garrett, Miss Joanna Garcia Lopez. And then the moment the senior class is waiting for. After five decades, Spade senior Sherman Jones is ready to receive a high school diploma, but not before his incredible gut-wrenching story is revealed to a spellbound crowd. And in the godforsaken wastelands of Central Korea, at a hill near a little town called Shinju in July of 1950, his unit was decimated by attacking North Koreans during the first disheartening days of the Korean conflict. Of 757 men in that unit, 313 were killed in action and 100 were captured. They were marched off to North Korea in what became known as the Korean Death March. There were three survivors. Sherman Jones was one of those survivors. Without a doubt, Sherman is a genuine American hero. Mr. Rogers is about to give him his diploma. But ladies and gentlemen, I give you my hero, Sherman Jones. He never gave up, and he's still so positive about life. I feel he's a hero in my book. I believe that the lesson he could teach the world is that no matter what happens in your life and no matter what brick wall that you come to, you can always bust through. The class of 2006 marches out, taking with them more than 70 years of history and moving slowly, the last graduate Spade, Texas will ever honor makes his way through the crowd. A crowd that patiently gives time for a war hero to take a walk he has always dreamed about. An entire town, the young and the old, on this night, all decided the last page in their school's history should be reserved for Sherman Jones, the man who never gave up. Even though you're out of ammunition and your regiment is wiped, nearly wiped out, Never give up. I will always remember Spade. It will always have a place in my heart. <laughs>